0: All right, good morning. Uh, glad to be here with you all again. Uh, I'd like to welcome all those who are coming in and uh, just visiting us online again. Very, very thankful to be uh, worshiping together again this morning. Uh, so just to recap, last week we uh, talked about the big kind of First Samuel story that you probably heard for most of your life, and that was David and Goliath, right? We talked about just the heroics of the story, the ins and outs, but really we focused on, how sometimes we have more Goliath tendencies in our lives than we do David. Like, we like to think of ourselves as the underdog who has to overcome all the mountains in our lives. And sure, there are plenty of times where we are the underdog, but there's a lot of times where we are the Goliath. And not in the same sense that you are the biggest or the strongest or the angriest or the scariest, right, in the room. Uh, But in the fact that we love control. And whether we, we want to uh, nod our heads in agreement or not, that we do prefer to have control in our lives. And sometimes that's not a bad thing. Obviously, we want to plan. We want to have things going in a direction, right? But we want to recognize that sometimes David's come in our lives, in our lives just to mess everything up, right? Goliath did not anticipate David showing up. And for his entire life, he had this mantra, I'm sure, of you are the meanest, you are the scariest, go be our mean and scary guy. And that was his control. That was his trajectory in life. And we ourselves see ourselves in a similar light. We are the -the fill-in-the-blank person. I am the one who's in control. I am the one who has everything covered. I am the whatever it might be. We love to have those monikers. But we talked about how sometimes we allow those things to be our gods and we allow control to be a God unto itself, when in reality we should give up that control, surrender that to God, and allow God to use us in whatever way he sees fit, but recognizing that our plans are simply just our plans, not always God's plans. So just keep that in mind this morning as we keep rolling into First Samuel chapter 18, because this little shepherd boy that we talked about last week, not the story anymore. is shifting. But before we get to that, I want you to think about this. Have you ever received a gift with strings attached? And I'm not talking about like puppets, strings. I'm talking about strings attached, like the things that, you know, there's something along with this gift that you have to keep in mind. It might be you've gotten a gift from a family member that you just have to put out when they're coming over, right? I don't know what that might be, a vase, I don't know, a a fixture in your home that you just have to put out, Uh, It might be something a little bit more nefarious, right? It's like, I'm giving you this gift, you know, quid pro quo. You didn't think I was going to be able to say that, but I did. Uh, It's one of those things where I'm giving you this so that you will give something to me in the future, right? There's strings attached. And maybe there's something in between that you can think of, right? Maybe, uh, hopefully it's not the latter, the, the more nefarious version of this, but I'm sure we've all received a gift where we're like, there's something else that this gift means, so I want you to think about that, I'm gonna show a quick clip, it's a minute long, from a TV show that you might, may or may not have seen, okay? Just watch this, you don't have to think it's funny. If you don't laugh, it's okay. But I think it's going to really detail what I'm outlining this morning. So I got some volume on that clip, I hope, and here we go. Presents are the best way to show someone how much you care. It is like this tangible thing that you can point to and say, hey man, I love you this many dollars worth. Brian! No. Whoa, video yeah. iPod. Whoa. Oh, wow, geez. Somebody really got carried away with this. Spirit of Christmas. That was me. I got carried away with the spirit. Wasn't there a $20 limit on the gift? This is 400 bucks. You don't know that. Yeah, you left the price tag on. I did? Yeah. Why? Oh, shoot. Wow. OK, well. well, who cares? doesn't matter what I spent. What matters is that uh, Christmas is fun, right? Michael. Oh, hey, for me. What is in here? Oh, come on. I I knitted it for you. An oven mitt? Okay. So Phyllis is basically saying hey, Michael, I know you did a lot to help the office this year, but I only care about you a homemade oven mitt's worth. I gave Ryan an iPod. Okay. Uh, let's see. I'm just gonna leave this up there. So, if you've never seen the show before, uh, Michael is the boss of the office, and he is obviously doing the Secret Santa gift exchange, and he gives Ryan this iPod. And if you do if you've never seen the show before, Ra- or Michael really likes Ryan and wants Ryan to like him, you know, he he wants him to think he's cool and hip and young. When reality, Michael is none of those things, right? And so he wants to give Ryan this iPod to say, "Hey, man." If I give you this, I love you, right, this many dollars worth, and I want you to love me back. And then Michael is then really, really disheartened when he gets this gift from Phyllis that the woman who, who knitted the, the, um, the kitchen, what is it called? Uh, oven mitt, I couldn't think of the word. The oven mitt, and he's like, wow, you must really think very little of me because I gave Ryan this $400 iPod, and you gave me this piece of yarn, basically, And so to Michael, in that moment, even though he was himself being a little bit mischievous, a little bit devious with his gift, he took it all the wrong way. Right? And he himself realized, maybe he didn't realize, that he was kind of in the wrong in, in a way. And Michael never realizes he's in the wrong. Honestly, throughout that, he's kind of dim-witted in that way. But that kind of hyperbole, I want you to kind of have that in mind this morning. Maybe you think of the experience that you've had, where you've had a gift that maybe there were strings attached to. And if not, maybe just think of Michael here, where it's like, geez, man, you really missed out on what that entire gift exchange was all about. Because gift-giving is something that we're going to be doing very soon, right it's the season where we're giving gifts to those who love us but there's more to just the tangible gifts that we give other people right it's the things that we do daily in our lives but today specifically we're going to look at two different people who give gifts to David okay and then one person is going to be someone that I hope that we want to emulate and one person is going to do something that I hope that we do not And I can give you one guess as to who the person is you don't want to emulate. It is Saul, right? And it's between Saul and Jonathan. They're going to give David these gifts. And we're going to see kind of the spirit of why and how they're giving these gifts and really what that means to us. So let's look again here. I know Jeff just read this, but just to refresh our minds, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. After David had finished uh, talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Now, I want you to be kind of mindful of what just took place, right? We're going straight from this encounter with Goliath to Jonathan having this experience with David. And I want you to think for a moment about what we already know about Jonathan. Right? We've talked about Jonathan before, and this is kind of who he is. Right? This is before when Jonathan and his armor bearer go against a bunch more Philistines than they should have ever you know, encountered or, or gone to battle against. Right? This is Jonathan saying this. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. This is the spirit of which Jonathan lives his life. Right? He is this great warrior. We already know that. We already know his skills. But his skills are matched by his ability to trust in the Lord. Right? Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Fast forward to 1 Samuel chapter 17. This is David. He says this to the Philistine. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have def- defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will, come, or I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Do you see the kindred spirit Cultivated between Jonathan and David, right? And so after this encounter that David, we know he wins, right, in this, in this battle, but it's not really David winning, right? It's what? The Lord winning through David as a vessel. Jonathan sees that act, and he sees a kindred spirit. He sees someone who is like him, right? He sees someone who is like-minded, who has the same spirit as they go into battle. Yes, they're very skilled warriors, but it's not just about their abilities. It's their ability to trust in God in the midst of all of this. And so David has this encounter with Jonathan where he kind of does this weird thing to which I'd never experienced this in my life, but I want to give a little bit of cultural context as to what Jonathan is doing here for David, right? He sees David on the battlefield, he sees him do this work, and he gives himself over to David almost as a gift, as a self-sacrificial, a submissive gift to David, Right? And I want you to think not necessarily of just like the clothing that Jonathan was wearing, but why he was wearing that. He was probably wearing his military outfit, right? We would call them fatigues today, maybe in our military um, terminology, of what he was wearing. He takes off his outer garment. He takes off his tunic, right? He takes off these trappings of what would have distinguished him between him and David or anybody else who wasn't battling, right? He takes those things off, and he doesn't just stop there. He takes off his bow and his belt, and he gives over his ability to defend himself to David. And so in this moment, we're looking at two men, and they probably look very similar at this time. There's no longer this son of the king, Jonathan, who is this great warrior, great fighter, great everything. He's no longer this distinguished soldier. He's just a guy standing with another guy who who desperately and deeply care and, and desire what the Lord is going to do through them. They're on the same playing field. There's no longer this son of Saul. There's no longer this warrior who defeated Goliath. These are just two guys who deeply trust in what the Lord's going to do through them. They're one in spirit. I want you to have that in your mind as well. This heart deep connection between Jonathan and David. And I've often wondered as I've read this story as to why Jonathan didn't go out there and try to fight Goliath. Have you ever thought about that? I wonder if if Jonathan went to Saul and said, hey, I've done these great things before and the Lord has been with me. I wonder if Saul said, no, you're my son. You can't do that. I can't risk your life. I wonder. And I wonder if Jonathan was watching there as David comes out of nowhere bringing cheese and grain to the battle, right? He has no business being there. He watches him go to his father, and he watches him go from his father to the battlefield and be victorious and say, man, that should have been me. I should have been the one fighting on behalf of my Lord. But it's not. But in that moment, he recognizes that it's not about showmanship. It's not about showboating or whatever it might be that that, that David's brothers thought it was about, right? It's about trusting in the Lord and saying the Lord's going to win today. And Jonathan deeply respected that. And so much so that he said that I am one in spirit. I'm going to give myself over to you. And the word they use is this covenant, right? This covenant relationship, this covenant, this oneness in spirit. And we should be familiar with this word covenant, right? Nod your heads if you're with me. You've heard this word covenant before. It's this agreement between two people. We talk about the covenant of marriage saying, I'm going to give myself over to you and vice versa. We had this covenant with God a long, long time ago through the Ten Commandments saying that I'm going to be your God and follow my decrees. And fast forward to what we're here today celebrating is the covenant we have with Jesus, right? This agreement that Jesus, you died for my sins and because of that covenant, I will live with you forever one day. It's that type of relationship that we are seeing formed between Jonathan and David because I want to take this out of the context of VBS because we, we read the story and we're like, oh, Jonathan and David, they're best friends. Sometimes best friends fail you. <laughs> sometimes people fail you. And sometimes that, that does happen. And I want to take this out of just the BFF relationship to make this a covenant. We are one in spirit. I am giving myself over to you. I am surrendering all this power and authority Jonathan might have over you, David, because we are one in spirit, because we fight God's battles in God's name. We are one in spirit. So we continue here in uh, verses 5 through 7 of chapter 18. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Okay, so we know a little bit of Saul already. How do you think Saul's loving this song? Not so much, right? This is not a song he wants to probably hear over and over again. You can kind of hear the gears turning in Saul's brain as you read through 1 Samuel 18. Continue on in verses 8 through 9. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. And yes, he is talking about this song. This song displeased him very greatly. They had credited David with tens of thousands he thought, but me with only thousands? What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. The very mention, the very refrain in a song about David's glorious battles over his own makes him so upset. But the thing is, we already know this about Saul. This is not a new story for you and I to be hearing. We know that Saul does not very much like David's kind of air. Because he's doing things with what? The Spirit of the Lord. And guess what Saul doesn't have anymore? Remember? He doesn't have the Spirit anymore. The Spirit departed from him. And it was so much so that he was physically, you know, different. They had to ask David to come in a while ago and play the, the, uh, the, the, the harp for him so that he would just stop being so restless. But we talked about it's not David's ability to play music, right? It's the spirit of God being around Saul again. And it was that whiff of what he used to have that made Saul calm down a little bit. But we're far from that. We're far from that. Saul is off on a different level. <laughs> he is so mad at, at David. He tries to harm him. He tries to take his spear and run it through him a couple times while David's in the room trying to play his heart for him. Does not go well, right? Saul was afraid, beginning in verse 12, of David. Remember that phrase there. Saul was afraid of David. Because the Lord was with David, but had departed from Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaigns. And everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was. He was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he had led them in their campaigns. The main thing that I keep getting from here is that Saul was afraid. Saul was afraid, and the Spirit was with David. It was this fear that he was being overcome, this fear that he's no longer going to be, what, in control, like we talked about last week. But David continues to have success. He continues to win these battles, even though he's being sent out in probably the most desperate places, right? By Saul. Hey, go out to this battle and fight for me. Go out to this place. I know there's a lot of Philistines over there. He might die out there. Hopefully he will. But David continues to have success. But then Saul has this great idea I'm going to give David a gift. But David said to Saul, or his daughter, I didn't didn't include that. Saul wants to give David his daughter in marriage. What a great gift. You can have my firstborn daughter, my oldest daughter, and and you guys could be married. That'd be awesome, right, David? But David said to Saul, who am I, and what is my family or my clan in Israel that I should become the king's son-in-law? Even in this moment where David has presented this gift that a lot of people would probably say, yes, sir, to even if they didn't like her very much. If the king says, you got to marry my daughter, you probably ought to marry that woman. He still says, and he still has this humble spirit about him, say, who am I that I would be the king's son-in-law? That, that just doesn't seem right to me. And this frustrates Saul a little bit. But guess what? He has another opportunity because Saul has another daughter. He wants him to marry his second daughter. But There's a problem with Saul's second daughter here. Uh, Now Saul's daughter Michal was in love with David. And when they told Saul about it, he was pleased. I'll give her to him, he thought, so that she may be a snare to him and so that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. So Saul said to David, now you have a second opportunity to become my son-in-law. You see, what Saul doesn't realize is that Two of the three children that we know about really like David. right? Jonathan has made this covenant bond with David. His second daughter, Michal, loves David. But you see, Saul is so blind. Once again, we have this theme here in 1 Samuel, this blindness. He's so blind to what's going on around him that he still thinks that he's going to be able to ensnare David with his plan to eventually become more powerful, whatever his plan might be. But the fact is, he's going to use his second daughter here as an opportunity to ensnare David. It's not going to work very much, okay? It's not going to work. He, he has this incredible task, and not to get too graphic, but Saul says, give me 400 foreskins of the Philistine uh, uh, soldiers. And David comes back with 200. David's proving his worth here because it seems to me that, that in order for David to go out and do this, he's going to have to kill these men, Right? And it doesn't seem like this is part of any kind of battle, right? So he's going out there, and he's just doing this on behalf of Saul so that he can marry this daughter, this gift that he's being given by Saul. But as David does, he's successful. And when Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter, call loved David, Saul became still more afraid of him, and he remained his enemy the rest of his days. Do you see a common theme happening here for Saul? He becomes more and more afraid the deeper and deeper he gets into this gift-giving season, right? He first tries to give him his daughter, and he says, no, thank you. He he gives him his second daughter, and he does this incredible feat in order to kind of give this bride price in order to, to marry me, call. And all of this just gets deeper and deeper into where Saul has no business going. He does not want to be there. And every single time he puts something in David's way, he overcomes it. And guess what that makes David look a whole lot more like? God's chosen king. Over and over again, David prevails. So we have two gift givers in this story, okay? Like I said, we have Jonathan and we have Saul. Two very different gifts. Which do you prefer? I want you to think about that for a second. Which do you prefer? but more, I guess, directed to who you are, what gifts are you giving to other people? Think about Jonathan and think about Saul. I want, I want to just look at their gifts just and see where you are, where do you fall in line here with the gifts that you are giving into the world. Jonathan's gifts were self-sacrificial, right? He stood before David and they were like-minded. They were one in spirit. Let me just re- refresh your memory here. In verse 2, From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave to David along with his tunic and even his sword and his bow and his belt. He loved him as himself. There's this self-sacrificial love saying, I'm going to basically take off the trappings of what makes me the king's best warrior, son, all these things that are, that are so great about being Jonathan, I'm giving them over to you because wherever you go, I'm going to go. We are one in spirit. We are together in this thing. There's this kinship. There's this kindred spirit that Jonathan sees and he wants to give that gift over to David and says, I am with you always. It's based in love, right? It's not this way where Jonathan's like, hey, I'm going to hitch my wagon to this horse because he seems to be going the right direction. Right, He seems to be winning battles, okay. He seems to be a pretty good warrior. I think that if I align myself with him, I can better my position in this world. That's not what he's about, right? It's based in love because it's not about anything else. And the last part about Jonathan's gift, it's vulnerable. This is not something that I don't think many of us have ever done before. Maybe not, you know, as... um, literally as Jonathan is here, but just the sharing of yourself with one person, maybe with your spouse, maybe with your closest friend, maybe with a sibling, the person that's known you the longest, whatever it might be, but this posture that Dave, that, excuse me, that Jonathan is giving towards David is something that I think we should strive for more, this vulnerability, because this word right here, I'm sure it's making a few of you a little bit uncomfortable, you might be thinking, I've been vulnerable vulnerable before, and I've been broken, I've been hurt. And and yeah, that does happen. I, I I've done these things, I've been self-sacrificial, I've I've done things based in love, but I've been hurt before. But like I've I've heard so many people in my life say, it's not necessarily about how the people receive your gift, more about how you give it to other people, right? You can't can't choose how, that's what we were talking about this morning in the teen class, right? We were talking about Acts chapter 13 and Paul and Barnabas, they get chased out of town and they kind of wipe their sandals and, and keep going. We can't make anybody think anything. We can't make anybody do anything in this world. What we can do is give gifts of sacrificial love that are based in love and that are totally vulnerable in giving of who you are. When we emulate this, we look a whole lot less like this. And unfortunately, these are the gifts that the world is often giving out. These are Saul's gifts. They're self-centered, based in deceit and given, right, out of fear. They're self-centered. Why does he want his daughter to marry David? Is it because David's a great man? No. Is it because David will be able to protect her and provide for her and do all these great things? No. Saul is using his daughter as a pawn for his own schemes. Very, very self-centered. And when it doesn't work the very first time, he doesn't have a come to you know Yahweh moment. We can't say come to Jesus yet. He's not there yet. Uh, He doesn't have a come to God moment where he's like, maybe I shouldn't give my daughter up in this scheme. He does it again. And the only reason he does these things is to further himself and to to allow himself to maybe have a leg up on David. But it doesn't work. They're based in deceit. He doesn't realize it, but he is so far from the path that he's deceiving himself in a way. And all these things that that are given to David are given out of fear. If you read through this in, in, in 1 Samuel 18... Over and over and over again, Saul becomes afraid of David. He's afraid of David. Why? Because David has something that he used to have. There's this jealousy. There's this bitterness. I'm sure there's all these things we could go down and list, all the things that Saul is feeling. But these are the gifts that he's putting out into the world. And it's I'm sure not able, he's not able to recognize it in the moment that this is what he's doing. All these contrived schemes, all the things that he's doing, all this stuff is manipulation. That's kind of like the, cap- the encapsulating word, this manipulative gift cycle that we're on here. That if I do this, he'll trip up. If I send him out into battle, he'll die. If I give him all these things, something bad will eventually happen to David, right? And I will be king, and everybody will love me once again, and I'll be the best. And maybe God will come back to me and give me his spirit one more time. But we're so far from that. And he's so far from realizing how far he is away from his own son's gifts. We've talked about this before. It kind of, in 1 Samuel, we have this list of fathers who are blind to the sins of their children, right? We have Eli who's blind to the sins of Hophni and Phinehas. We have Samuel who's even blind to his own son's failings. But now we have the father who's doing, seemingly all the wrong things, (laughs) That his kids are actually the best ones, the best examples yet in 1 Samuel, right? We have Jonathan and Michal doing these things that are actually good. I wonder what it would be like if Saul never, I I, I just have all these, these alternative realities where it's like, Saul, open your eyes, Saul, open your eyes. But the thing is, is that his eyes were open, but he chose to close them to all the things that were going on around him. We have opportunity after opportunity, and we read two weeks ago about how even Samuel was not wanting to let go, not wanting to give up on Saul, but God had to tell Samuel, hey, stop caring about Saul so much. You have other work to do. And I don't want this to be a downer of a sermon, but we talk about these these gifts, and whether we recognize it or not, we're doing one of the two. We're giving Jonathan like gifts, we're giving self sacrificial love, and we're being vulnerable to others, or we're being self centered. We're we're being deceitful, we're being manipulative with the things we give other people. It even happens within the church. The things that we do are sometimes so that we seem a certain way, so that we act a certain way in front of certain people, so they might think that we have these things figured out. I want everybody in this room to recognize that we are just men and women and we're all messing up and we're all triumphing and we're all doing everything in between. The best thing that we can do is strive to give gifts that Christ gave us because that covenant that we see between David and Jonathan is really a simulation or a kind of a microcosm of the covenant that we see with Christ, right? That Christ makes this covenant with us. He gets dressed down to the point where he's naked on a cross in the most humiliating posture you could possibly be in. And at least with David and Jonathan, this covenant can be mutual. I have your back, you have my back, and vice versa. But with Christ, there's nothing mutual about the covenant. Absolutely nothing. And you're saying, well, Jimmy, I give my life over to Christ. Whatever we do is going to pale in comparison to the covenant and the gift that Christ gives us, right? It's going to pale in comparison, no matter how good you are. But thank God for the strength of that covenant, Right? Thank God for the ability for that covenant to stand the test of time. Jonathan and David, they're dead. Christ died, and he's not dead anymore. And because of that truth, that gift, we should be emulating these things more and more in our lives. Because we know this covenant, not just because we see it through Jonathan, but because we've experienced through that covenant of love with Christ. So my question is, do you recognize what gifts you're giving? That's the hard part. Because I think Saul feels justified in what he's doing. But my question is, how do you find out? I don't know what it's going to look like for you, but you need to ask yourself the question, am I doing these things to serve myself? or to serve other people? Am I doing this out of a place of bitterness where I'm waiting for that person to slip up, where I'm waiting for that person to be wrong so that I can pounce on them and say, you're wrong, I'm right, I'm better than you? Or are you doing it in a way that's a gift of love, that's a self-sacrificial thing, whatever it might be, tangible or non, that you're putting out into the world? It's the idea of the aroma of Christ, right? Are you being the aroma? Are you being the light? Are you doing these things to provide people the opportunity to know Christ? or to know that bitter version of humanity that sometimes clings on to who we are. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this time, and I thank you for uh, giving us the example this morning of Jonathan and Saul, these gifts that they're giving to David. And I pray that we can be more like Jonathan, and ultimately, I pray that we can be more like Christ, that the covenant that we see between Jonathan and David, the mutuality mutuality between them is is, is apparent. It's not mutual between us and Christ. Yes, we want to serve him, but we fail so many times. But the thing is that Jesus doesn't fail us. That covenant is so strong. That covenant is so lasting. And that gift is what propels us to want to be more and more like him. But God, help us when we fail. Help us when we are in that manipulative cycle where we might be more bitter. We might be more controlling. And we want to just give over that control and say, God, take care of this, please, because we can't do it ourselves. Help us to open our eyes to the places we are blind and make it painfully obvious by showing us through the ones that we love around us. God, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have any needs, we offer this time to come forward. If you feel like, you know what, I've been giving some pretty bad gifts and not just, you know, Christmas gifts or physical gifts, but I've been pretty bitter in this world. I've been pretty jaded. I've been whatever it might be. We want to offer you a time of respite to come forward and share those with the church. But if you don't want to come forward, we offer you to just talk to somebody today as we stand and sing.